there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fantide, the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I'm entertainment journalist, editor, authoress, times two, your girl, your boy, your everything in between and beyond, Trayvell Anderson. And I'm trying to figure out who I'm supposed to be after all that. That's wow. quite a bit. Uh, coming up on the show, we've actually got a whole lot going on even right now as we're recording. For paid subscribers of the Fanti fam, we love to do a live salon with y'all. And this month we've brought you behind the scenes so that all of y'all can check out how we bring the show together. So everybody, um, thank y'all so much for being here. Um, we, When you hear audience applause throughout the rest of the show, oh, <laughs> there you go. That's so corny, but I love it. Laura, I was looking for more of like a crowd that felt like a room of 15 people, um, which it might be, but (laughs) it's fine. Anyway, in the fan side, we're having a pretty personal, uh, complex and complicado conversation around gratitude because you may have heard that this episode is dropping on Thanksgiving. And if you're listening to it the day that it drops out, you're probably dealing with some people or maybe you're not. So there's that. But first... A heads up, we are going to be getting into a conversation around Black Panther, Wakanda forever. So there will be spoilers in this conversation. You might want to skip ahead to the fan tie. If you don't want to hear this conversation yet, shout out to those of you in the live audience. Hopefully you all have seen the movie already or are prepared for some spoilers. We'll, you can mute yourselves in the audience there. You can mute us and then we'll let you know when to come back. <laughs> Whether you're black, brown, queer, trans, living under a rock, a DC Comics denier, a Rihanna apologist, you've heard that Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever has hit theaters and proven that black will indeed crack oh, that wow. box office wide open. And now <laughs> that the movie is out, we can talk about it. And let me tell you, we have some feelings, right? We, we feel a, a little bit of a way about a few things. Our guest's article sums up a lot of it for me very well. Her article is headlined, Wakanda Forever shows that black people can't win in the MCU. She is our returning champion, and I'm so excited to have her back on the show. Brooke Obi, welcome back to Fanti. I love y'all so much. I love Fanti, so I'm I'm so excited to come and talk about Wakanda Forever. Period. Well, I'm glad because you have written quite a piece on this uh, over on XO Nicole, and I I would love for you to read just like the first three sentences that you have here um, that kind of like set up the article. Wakanda Forever is in a no-win situation. The sequel to the Marvel Cinematic Universe juggernaut Black Panther has the monumental task of honoring its fallen king, Chadwick Boseman, and the character he played, T'Challa, all while continuing on the Black Panther mantle, introducing new characters, Riri Ironheart-Williams, who will have her own Disney Plus series, and the anti-hero Namor and his underwater kingdom, Telukan. It's impossible to do all of these things well in just one movie, though co-writer and director Ryan Coogler's effort is valiant. The love for Bozeman is palpable, and Wakanda Forever gives us the opportunity to mourn him together, just as we celebrated him in community during Black Panther's 2018 run. Okay, so then you go on to say, quote, though I left the theater in tears after both Black Panther and Wakanda Forever back in 2018, I wasn't immediately sure why. This time around, it's much more clear what hurts. Black people can't win in the MCU. And I felt like... I hear my mom saying, like, we can't have nothing nice. And I'm like, Brooke, (laughs) 
tell us why you feel like black people can't have nothing nice in the MCU. Okay, well, the first thing I will say, the first time that I said we can't have nothing nice was when Namor comes up into Wakanda and he's dripping in vibranium because vibranium also landed in the ocean and everybody's thinking like Wakanda is this special place and they're the only people with Wakanda. I was like, black people can't have nothing. Like, we can't even have vibranium. <laughs> I couldn't give them some Nothing is just ours. But it's like, you know. But I mean, I really, I broke it down into three different sections, like to kind of sum up the franchise and why I feel like that. Um, I really just want us to be in a situation where we can have some peace. And I was really looking forward to understanding that, you know, Chadwick Boseman had passed away and that we've been grieving him for the past two years. The actual cast has been grieving him as like a real person that they knew and loved. Um, and so, you know, I'm going into it expecting that that's what's going to happen, that we're going to, I've seen the trailer, it's beautiful, the, the white funeral, the all white funeral, the murals and the dancing, I'm expecting that to be a part of it. I am not expecting them to then go on and kill another really important character. Now, come on. And leave, leave the black girl with no family. Come on now. like. Why? I don't understand that. Like, that felt really unnecessary to me. Um, I know what they're doing. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like it's the constraints of the MCU. The MCU, you have to take away everything from everybody in order for them to have an arc. You know, we saw T'Challa in uh, Civil War. That's where he was introduced, and he had to watch his father be assassinated. Um, but it just, like, we've already, she's already going through, Shuri is already going through the loss of both her father and now her brother, it's enough. It's enough. It's a it's a real life situation that we had to deal with and they put it in the script and I appreciate and understand that. And it could have been enough to carry the story through. So I'm not gonna lie. When when they killed, when it became clear that Queen Ramonda was gonna go bye-bye, I said, I know you fucking lying to me. I'm sorry, hold on. What? I know you fucking lying. What did you say her name was? <laughs> Queen Ramonda. Queen Ramonda. Queen Ramona. What y'all know who I'm talking about? Okay, no. the Queen Ramonda. Ramonda yes. Okay, <laughs> when Ramon, when it became clear that Ramonda was about to die, I I audibly said in the theater, "I know you fucking lying." The movie is already so heavy; it's already weighed down um, by you know Chadwick's death and how you now have to take this narrative right that you that is supposed to progress you know this this arc about wakanda about the black panther the introduction of riri williams right like that's what the sequel was supposed to be but now it has to contend with chadwick not being there there's already a lot there and i think that it kind of felt like two different movies to me. Like the beginning and the end kind of went together and felt like something was there. And then the middle part was like, okay, we gotta, you know, we gotta, we gotta go through this narrative, introduce this person. Shout out to 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 the young lady who plays Riri. I thought she was great. She was fantastic. She was wonderful. A costuming. Shout out to R Ruth. You did it again. Again and again. But I, you said so much there, Brooke, and I, I, I appreciate you. I just want to say, you know, the Brooke Obi pen is always severe, okay? It's always precise, okay? 
and you did it again, okay? I'm done. Brooke, you, you talked about how you broke it down into different parts, right? So the first part is black people can't have peace. And like that first piece that you talk about is how I hadn't I hadn't thought about it this way. And I was like, damn, Brooke, let me let me process that. You talked about how we've lost all of the leaders in Wakanda except Shuri, right? You talk about the loss of King T'Chaka, who you say meets his end at the hands of a white Slovakian terrorist. Um, like the you talk about how they all all die at like the hands of outsiders, which was an interesting element to how you talked about not being able to have peace. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, so we're going through, you know, the story of Wakanda is being introduced to us because it's the MCU through death and grief. Like that's all it's ever been. And even as we celebrated in 2019 or 2018, the beautiful, you know, regality of Wakanda, what's the underlying like narrative from Civil War all the way through Wakanda forever is assassination and grieving. And the fact that black people like Shuri couldn't even burn her mourning clothes for T'Challa before her mother was murdered. And she had to witness that. And so, you know, we looked at Black Panther as this shining example of Afrofuturism. You know, the ability for Black people to exist in the future. Because you look at sci-fi and on all of these futuristic stories and Black people somehow are never there. But, you know, Ooh. the idea of Afrofuturism is so radical because not only are we there, we exist despite the fact that people don't want us to, you know, we're also thriving. We're also, you know, regal and all of these wonderful things. And so even in the Afro future, we can't win. Like we still have to experience the same compounded grief that everybody, you know, that we're feeling in actual life with this being, you know, the third year of a pandemic and everything else that we have going on, like I was expecting a little bit of peace. I was expecting to come to a place of peace. And by the end of the movie, Shuri is supposed to have come to that place. And I just don't think that she really has. And I definitely didn't as an audience member, like I was just mad and sad. I actually found something that you said really interesting uh, you like you like we talked about you have these multiple different places where you talk about what we can't have in the MCU and one of them is vengeance right you said we can't have vengeance and really if we distilled it down for the last couple of minutes here it was about respectability and i thought that was interesting to to see um, this African nation that has been uncolonized and, you know, all of the things that we that we kind of uh, celebrate about what would be so special about Wakanda, but it's still written through the eyes of like, <laughs> you know, a colonized, you know, perspective. Um, and so to hear you write about the respectability in the in the films and the way that it is kind of like thematic. Um, it really spoke to me interestingly. Can you talk a little bit about how you thought, how you saw respectability playing a role here? So, Jane Wilson has talked about, you know, like the white gaze, and it's not always just about white people, you know, writing and telling our stories. It's also looking at who the audience is. If the audience is white people, what can I say? What can I do? So a lot of black people, you know, even as we're creating, we're like, what are white people let me get away with? You know, like, what can I, what can I say? What can I do here? And so this idea of being able to, you know, have something happen 
And for you to be rightfully upset about it and for you to go and avenge that situation, we have all sorts of movies. We got Kill Bill. We got all of these movies of white people seeking revenge for stuff that happened to them. But every time something happens, especially to black people as a whole, um, you know, it's a narrative that we learned in slavery. Like that's, you know, the whole kind of Christian philosophy is forgiveness, let it go. Oh, this is all going to be righted in the afterlife. You don't have to seek vengeance. Like every time Black people have a valid reason to go and liberate themselves and to, you know, get rid of their oppressors in the best way that they can and to prevent their oppression from happening in the future or to anybody else, it's like, no, no, we got to choose this path. And so we see it with T'Challa in Civil War. He literally like has an opportunity to kill the man that assassinated his father. And he's literally like sitting up on a hill, chilling like with the terrorists <laughs> and like having a heartfelt conversation. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is not real. I just, and then it continues on, you know, in Black Panther. So Killmonger wants revenge. Um, he doesn't really, I mean, he kind of gets it. Um, but the message, is, he definitely went about it in the wrong way. I definitely do not want to, I want to <laughs> restate my position. You're not team Killmonger? No, no. In 2018, I wrote this piece called In Defense of Kill Eric Killmonger and the Forgotten Children of Wakanda. And upon reflection, a lot of men, a lot of cis hetero men were agreeing with what I was saying. And I said, wait a minute, let me... <laughs> let me think this. Let me think about this a little bit deeper, just in case I'm doing something. Cause it's never happened to me. It's never happened to me. Brooke said, "When too many straight people are agreeing with no. me, straight men are That's agreeing with me. Are. Something must be wrong." Check yourself. So I really went back and I had to say, like, you know what? He was extremely misogynistic in his violence. He specifically targeted and killed several black women. Like. Mm -hmm. This is not the way. And what he actually wanted to do was to be a black face of empire. You know, he's citing all of these white colonizers and their mm -hmm. ideologies. He's literally trained by the CIA. All the marks over his body from the people that he's killed are from his work, you know, destabilizing other nations. So he's very, very colonized. His answers are not the answer but it's presented as if the just the idea, even for his father, Njobu. T'Chaka killed his own brother, Njobu, at the beginning of Black Panther because he wanted to arm Black people in America with vibranium mm -hmm. and to free his wife, who was a revolutionary, in prison, which, of course, was a deleted scene because we don't know anything about any other Black Americans in Black Panther other than Killmonger. Um, but there was a deleted scene about his mom being a revolutionary. But anyway, and, and he was killed for that. He was killed for trying to do that. And so just this idea of Black Americans being empowered and fighting back against their oppressors, that's a, ma a bad message. Like, that is something that has to be punished. Like, that cannot sustain. Like, it, it can't sustain in the MCU for sure. So even this whole idea, like, that's why it's so ridiculous that, you know, you have the tele... I believe it's Telekanil. I said Telekan in my piece, but I believe the, the name of the people of Telekan are Telekanil. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, these 
indig indigenous Mayan civilization underwater. They have everything in common with the with the Wakandans. They should be natural allies, but they have to invent all of these ridiculous reasons, which is why the whole middle part of the movie doesn't make any sense. And it's like, why are we here? Because this is just like, <laughs> be gay. like there's, what's the holdup? Why are you not ganging up and, you know, taking on white supremacy? Because you have to take it a step farther and be like, no, we have to destroy everybody. We have to set the whole world on fire rather than to be like, let's be strategic. Let's take out these governments who are harming our people. Like, let's, you know. What it, I love. Take it to that, so that you come to the conclusion that, you know, Namor was in the wrong and Killmonger was in the wrong. Like, you have to take mm -hmm. it. You have to make these characters mm -hmm. be that extreme <laughs> so that the idea that Black people and Indigenous people getting revenge and getting vengeance and protecting themselves and preserving their future is not something that you should aim for. And that's respectability politics. That's all it is. What I love about this so much is, you know, I'm sure some of the people listening right now is like, oh, is that, is that what was going on? Because, you know, I just, I just saw the blue people flying, you know, and, you know. <laughs> I'm one of those people reading the article thinking like, well, damn. We do tell them that they can't have vengeance. We do tell them that they can't that they can't burn the shit down. And that no, we should go for peace. And I'm like, it makes me think about that quote that something to the effect of like white people should be grateful that when black people got free, the first thing that they wanted was um was equality and not revenge. Right. And I was mm -hmm. like, that tracks. <laughs> right. So yeah. It still keeps us in the rat race. We're still trying to gain equality with people who we should not be seeking equality from like seriously like these are not the principles Period. these are not the the guidelines these are not the standards of being a human being that we should be trying to be equal to like this that's that's yeah. why we get into this position it's a distraction that's another thing that Tony Morrison said. Like, it just, it keeps you, mm -hmm. it keeps you distracted from actually doing what you came here to do. From creating, from being, from living, from everything else, because you're trying to be equal. Like, it's a, it's a scam of white supremacy. That's all respectability politics is. That's all it is. Brooke Obi, she's the head honcho over there at XO Nicole. Okay, I done told y'all the pen has always been nice. Make sure y'all are following the work that she does. Uh, I don't I don't know if you still I don't know if you one of the ones leaving Twitter or not, but w what socials do you want the people to know about you? You can follow me on Instagram at Brooke Obi. I just started a TikTok. I, I don't know if I'm going to do anything over there, but that's <laughs> Brooke.Obi over there. Um, I'm not really on Twitter. I'm trying to feel it out. Like I still have my my Brooke Obi mm -hmm. page over there, too. That was my favorite one. I spent 13 years cultivating that. So period. Go to exonicole.com. That's where you can find her at. Period. Yes. Thanks so much, Brooke, for Thank being you. here. As always, everyone, we want to hear what you think. Leave us a comment. Email us. Y'all know how to get in touch with us. We're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna get into our fan tie. Brooklyn is the place to get presents that are somehow perfect for all of the people in your life, right on time, stress-free. And with their Black Friday sale, you can save even more. Now, that sounds like a happy holiday. Brooklinen is known for sheets that literally win awards and the hits for home just keep on coming. Their luxe satin sheets continue to be a favorite for their buttery smooth finish and 
the perfect temperature for those who sleep just a little bit chilly. And their weighted blankets are like wrapping up in a hug whenever you need. It's the perfect size to bring comfort to any corner of your space and just the right weight to put your mind and body at ease. I like the sheets. They're on my bed. You know, shout out to me. All right, make your holidays even happier with help from the internet's favorite, Brooklinen. Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year is only for a limited time and the details don't get better. And if you happen to have missed out, use promo code FANTI. Visit brooklinen.com and get $20 off plus free shipping on orders $100 or more with code FANTI. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Welcome back, beautiful people. The great songwriter once said, Okay, okay, if you're gonna start singing, then. Okay, well, hold on. All right, I was about to, you know, give y'all a nice little A and B selection. Or a joyful noise, at least. <laughs> Big purr. In case you don't know, that is Walter Hawkins's classic gospel ditty, Be Grateful. Soloist there is Lynette Hawkins Stevens. When I think of gratitude, this song comes to mind, largely because I feel like it, for me, encapsulates so much about what is, you know, again, to me, conventional thinking around gratitude. Obviously, this is a gospel song, right? So it has that kind of religious context. But part of it goes, be grateful, this part of the song, it goes, be grateful because there's someone else who's worse than you. Be grateful because there's someone else who'd love to be in your shoes. So this whole thing about gratitude, right, in relation to other people having worse experiences, right? It could, could be worse, okay? Which, you know, yeah. Then there's the, you know, weeping may endure for a night, by jo but joy cometh in the morning, you know, aspect of this that is closely, you know, related to me in, in my head. Outside of that, right? There's this broader gratitude phenomena that I feel like is, you know, it's percolating in the culture, you know, that is, okay. it's less, it's less about God, right? And more about, you know, just being present in, in, in one's body and, you know, less concerned about the ways of the world that might, you know, trivialize the importance of just being like, I'm thankful for, for this vessel and how, you know, it has brought me a mighty long way through the trials and the tribulations. Um, and so what this has created for me, okay, is this interesting, you know, witnessing and, and straddling around and about gratitude, right? Who and what gratitude is for, how it shows up in our lives or doesn't, and more. And so I wanted to bring this convo here because Jarrett, putting you on the spot here, I think that you, 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 you exude this, what I have been calling for some time unbeknownst to you until our pre-pro meeting on this episode, an era of gratitude that you have been in for a period of time. 
Um, and I'm intrigued about, you know, our journeys collectively and separately to gratitude, through gratitude, etc., etc., etc. So for starters, when I mentioned to you as we were prepping this episode that I felt like you were in this era of gratitude, you were a little taken aback as you just, you know, fiend a response there as well. Ooh, he's put on the, the nightlight, y'all. It's giving, you know, fireside chat. The light was in the wrong spot. Y'all know I'm in a new spot right now. I'm trying to figure it out. Go ahead on. Anyway, but I've said that you, I feel like you're in this era of gratitude and you were like a little taken aback by it. You know, we'll talk about those feelings later because I think, I, I wonder what's there. Um, but I'd love it if you could talk, set the stage about like, what gratitude like looks like and means for you like right now? Mm. I appreciate the right now of that question because I think that is something that evolves uh, or like looks different at different times. Uh, and for me right now, gratitude is really in being able to like better appreciate what, um, where I am now and like what's happening around me and what, I, what is, in my life now um, and like what has always been there, right? Or what has been there for a long time before I could appreciate it. Um, I tweeted last week about how- You've been doing a lot of tweeting lately, friend. I felt like an attack. <laughs> um, uh, I tweeted about wanting to be able to like better utilize the resources that I already have, right? Like today I was having angst over like having to get this thing out to some people and having to write this and that and da da da. And I was like, oh, this is something that I could actually give to someone that would be better at this and could do it more quickly than I could. And so like, I have an assistant, right? And I was like, this is actually something that would be really, really easy for her to do. And I was like, I have so much available to me sometimes that I don't necessarily feel like I utilize. And so when I think about like where, where I am in gratitude right now. One, it is appreciation for who I am, what I have been able to accomplish with the, the help of the good Lord. Um, and like being having a better appreciation for that right now is really how gratitude kind of feels for me because like I find myself just feeling a lot more grateful than I've ever felt um, to be who I am, to do what I do, to, to be in the space that I'm in right now. What does gratitude look like mean for you right now? I mean, I know it's Thanksgiving and all, but my relationship to gratitude, I think is a complex one. No. Shut up. And I think it's because for me, I, I always feel like gratitude and the expression of gratitude ends up being like a destination on a journey and not, not a pit stop on, on, on said journey to, you know, the fullness of oneself, by which I mean. And again, this might be very like religious, you know, spiritual tinged, but I always think of gratitude and like the need to be gr uh, grateful and how it's used as kind of like a counterweight to to struggle, to strife, mm. 
to to stress, right? It's always, you know, I got a lot going on, but oh my god, it could be worse. So I'm 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 gr- I'm grateful for the problems that I got because I could have you know worse of problems. Mm-hmm. And for me, I often find that that is where the the wrestling and the interrogation of of whatever one's circumstance stops. It is the it is the let me not complain because it could be worse. It's the be grateful for the now and for the moment. And so I find that that often means that we don't like, yeah, I'm grateful, but also I shouldn't be, I shouldn't have to go through the shit I'm going through. You know, like, like, like for me, it feels like it could be a a both and conversation, but it often comes off as an, as a, a either or situation between like being grateful and having gratitude and expressing it and and wanting to acknowledge right that like damn is this what is this what it's supposed to be as i hear you say that it makes me think about the the yolo akili quote that i decided recited on the show probably like a, a couple of weeks ago um, and I did it on uh, on Instagram as well because I just thought it was really, really smart. It was actually around the way that we vote. Um, and that statement was people were killed trying to vote by white supremacists. They didn't magically die. I imagine they would have liked to have lived. Also, mm. we get to make our own decisions. Choose to vote or not for our future, not out of a shame-based strategy designed to hold us uh, politically hostage. And it kind of makes me think about that because what I hear you saying is like, I want to be grateful because the things are good, not because they're not bad. Yeah. It's wanting to be able to 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 celebrate the things and not feel like it is uh, out of gratitude that things are not terrible or that things are not as bad as someone else. And you don't feel like that maybe feels as pure or as valuable or... It feels like a, a treatment of of the pain and of the grief and of the stress and the strife, but not an addressing of the thing that's causing me so much pain. Also, I'd point out like your, the question was about gratitude and your answer is about pain. But see, that's my point. Well, the the piece of me that's been in therapy for a long time would, would offer that it's about your perspective more than it is about the thing, right? And so like, why does the question I think would have to be like, what is the connection to gratitude and pain um, for you? And why are those two things linked right now? And not that that's a good thing or a bad thing so much as just like, well, what is that? How does that resonate for you? And I'm really excited that Dr. Diet is in the audience tonight. Um, <laughs> <because> <laughs> she don't have something to say. <laughs> well, I would say that I think that's some bullshit. Um, and I think that, there you think that what, is, is, what about it is some bullshit? I, I'm, go, I'm gonna tease it out for you. I think that, and what I mean by I think that that's some bullshit is that I, I think that my, my framing can be adjusted as much as it needs to be adjusted. I kind of, I kind of liken it to like you know, just like w- one's sight, one's focus area, right? I can be as focused on you as focused on this moment, as present as I want to be, right? That does not remove the fact that 
you know, <laughs> I have whatever else going on or the world has whatever else going on that is still going to interact with my experience of the world, right? And so that's what that's what I mean, but I, I, always, feel, I always feel like, and I think this is partially also just how my mind, you know, works, but like, I feel like I can be grateful and express gratitude while also holding whatever various entities that are operating um, outside of me kind of like accountable for the impact that they're having. What you articulated is exactly what I'm trying to say about one of the, something that I witness and observe from my vantage point of this, of this conversation. Um, because you know, yeah, I'm, I, I am super grateful that my life is what my life is. Super blessed. Love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what it is? I think gratitude for me is a given in a way that is still intentional and conscious for me, but is like a, 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 a quicker manifestation. Now I'm just using SAT words that sound like they go together, but- The way that I hear you <laughs> discussing gratitude makes me wanna ask you other questions, right? And so like, for instance, the way I hear you talking about gratitude and immediately kind of then pivoting to like where things are or where things are bad or where things are painful or where things are difficult, it, it makes me ask again, like, well, what is the connection between like gratitude as a thing, right? And pain as a thing or struggle as a thing or, you know, suffering or whatever it is on the other side. But like, I'm hearing you say that you see those two things as inextricably linked and I don't see it that way. And I think that's the distinction that we're, we're kind of finding here. I, I think you are correct in your estimation and of the difference in how, how we see it. And I, I will, I will know and say that like, you know, I've also had this thought that like, you know, maybe uh, that type of positioning as it relates to gratitude that you are articulating is just like, you know, the granddaddy, big wizard Kelly, you know, of, of wellness, you know, I'm not at that level yet. And like, that might, be, that might be true. You know, I might got some more work to do, but you know, as of right now, I'm like, you know, I am super grateful for everything that I have. Um, and yet I could be, ooh, I, you want to really see gratitude? <laughs> now I'm nervous. <sighs> no. <laughs> I think this is interesting, though, because I don't think of, like, gratitude as being something that exists, like... Big purr! Sorry, I got distracted. Gra what happened? Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm fucking up the flow of the conversation. You can blame Laura Swisher because she just dropped in the chat. She said, "Here's some gratitude," and it's a link to the Los Angeles Times with the headline: "Karen Bass elected <gasps> LA's first woman mayor." Oh. Breaking, breaking, breaking news. Um, at least black while we're recording glory, this. Black glory. Oh, <laughs> thank God. Listen, you want to talk about gratitude, bitch? <laughs> thank bitch, you. Lord. Listen. <laughs> Oh, you're so worthy, God. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the Abba Father, okay? I was gonna say, Swish then like completely fucked up the whole, <laughs> the whole thing for me right now, okay? Period! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a perfect.
perfect time for a headline like that, right? Obviously, we're oh. pre-taping this episode uh, on Wednesday, the week before Thanksgiving. Oh, that was amazing. Something I am incredibly <laughs> grateful for right now, that oh. Karen Bass will be the next mayor of Los Angeles. Congratulations to Karen Bass. I will just say on this before we get back into gratitude, the real challenge for me here, and I think we talked about this on the air before, has been like not really being able to feel, not feeling like I can just like endorse a Karen Bass because of the roles within ABJ and all of that and knowing how many journalists we have that are not, you know, opinionated journalists. And so like shout out to Karen Bass and everyone working over there because that campaign worked really, really hard. Okay. So back to the gratitude conversation. I'm looking into the comments and I see that we have a comment that says, Travel sounds like they are hovering around the question or notion of weaponized gratitude. The idea that people respond to a compliment with the notion that we should be grateful and not complain. Does that sound accurate? Does that, does that track? Yes. In the ways that I feel like I've seen gratitude um, show up in a way that is just like not, not cute perhaps is one of those ways is the the weaponizing of it of it the you know it could be so much worse like you should be you know like you got a job though like yeah you hate your job but you got a job though and it's like yeah girl i got a job super grateful for that and yet this shit is fucked up and like where is the space how does one go about articulating or working through the bullshit that one is 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 dealing with does not seem often enough to me um to be a um a a part of the ways that i feel like a lot of people exhibit gratitude and and perf- perform is the word i was going to use perform gratitude i see that we have a comment from addison that says uh I love this convo. I see you, Travel. Gratitude is often used to trigger shame. Like, you should be grateful because it could be worse sometimes and validates what you're going through. But also, those who have more grateful dispositions are also more likely to experience joy, which is interesting because, like, I, there's there's a lot of data that talks about how we think about things and how that makes us feel and how and how we, you know, kind of become in the world because of that. I experience joy just fine. Uh, personally speaking. That's an important point though, right? Because you can experience joy. That doesn't mean you can't experience it so much as it means like you experience it in a different way, right? Or you experience it. I don't even know if it's like on a spectrum of like more or less, but it certainly would look different for you or different for people who um, experience gratitude in that way. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We got to go, girl. We got to go. <laughs> we want to hear from y'all. Hit us up on social media using the hashtag FantiFam. We're on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at FantiPodcast. Travel's still going to be making faces while we go into the commercial break. When we come back, we're going to get into a few more comments from listener feedback with our live audience that is joining us, the FantiFam of paid subscribers who are a part of the show. And then we're going to uh, get on out of here. So Fanti's coming right back. My Manolo, guess what? Manolo, guess what? 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 Nothing. 
Dr. Game Show has made it to 100 episodes on Maximum Fun. Oh, that's true. I knew that. Well, to celebrate, we are releasing our entire Earwolf archives to Max Fun members. That's anyone who gives $5 or more monthly to support podcasts like Dr. Game Show. That's 63 episodes with in-studio comedian guests like Jason Manzoukas, Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers, Joe Para, Todd Berry and Janine Garofalo, Connor O'Malley, Chris Gethard, and more. Plus three bonus episodes that include two pilot episodes. Wow, two pilots must be good. Find the feed at MaximumFun.org slash BOCO, B-O-C-O. Stands for bonus content. Mm-hmm. Presenting the new MaxFunStore.com. We've got shirts for your torso, hats for your head, drinkware for your finest beverages, and so much more. Starring your favorite Max Fun shows with new and classic designs. Find the perfect gift for the podcast fan in your life. Heck, that could be you. We're not judging. Head to MaxFunStore.com now. That's MaxFunStore.com. Alrighty, beautiful people, welcome back. We are going to get into our listener feedback segment, okay? As we told you all, we have some of the Fanti fam members who have been in the audience listening in on us actually recording this episode. And so this week's listener feedback is coming from the comments and the questions that they have had to listening to the conversations that we've had on the show thus far. This is going to be really interesting. I'm so excited. We've never done this. And so, you know, love this for us. Um, all right, Jared, you want to go first? Pull one for first. We have a question from, I'm not familiar with this name. Is it Cassara Diet? I believe? Is that how you say her first name? I thought it was Cassara like, Diet. Or is maybe it Sarah? Maybe the K is silent? <laughs> She's here. <laughs> Tell us in the in the, the chat. infamous Doctor Diet. I've always I don't know. Well, I think we've just always called her Doctor Diet. Yeah. Doctor Diet says comment number one from the Brooke Obi conversation when we were discussing Black Panther. Um, she says I don't know if Brooke covers this in her article, but I was aware of feeling pain and grief. I felt was through watching the very steady and painful undercurrent of commentary on this kind of inner marginalized group violence. Interesting. Um, she said the maxim uh, of hurt people hurt people was very present here and it was obvious in a way for those who look for it but also in a way that most mm. white audiences would miss I thought that's interesting um, kind of going back to that uh, the the end of the conversation where we're talking about how uh, respectability played a role there right of like oh we can't have vengeance um, but we can attack each other um, that was kind of an interesting an interesting perspective. Appreciate that, Dr. Guy. Go ahead, Chavo. On um, the K is... The K is not silent, we've been told. <laughs> I've been the producer in my earpiece or in the chat on Zoom um, has yeah. said the K is not silent, so it's Casera. Also on, on the Black Panther tip, um, just a quick another quick comment that we have here from Sheena. Shout out to um, Sheena. I want to comment about Black Panther for listener feedback. Um, so I understand where Brooke was coming from regarding the respectability slash lack of revenge part of the movie and completely agree. However, Kareem Ramonda's death made sense to me as part of what needed to happen in order for Shuri to become the Black Panther. When you lose your mother slash the woman who raised you, it shatters you and you have to piece yourself back together. I believe this piecing is part of what encourages Shuri to want to be the Black Panther, death and grief and after... Oh, I should have said spoiler alert again, maybe. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> 
I, be, I believe this piecing is part of what encourages wow. Shuri to want to be the Black Panther. Death and grief in Afrofuturism, in Afrofuturism don't, does not bother me. Um, quite the opposite. They comfort me because I will mourn my grandmother forever. And there are very few places slash media in American society that accurately reflect what deep, all-encompassing grief is like. Now, that now, okay. You said something there, Sheena. You said something. You, I don't, I, that's all I got. It was to me unnecessary. It was to me, like, you, you, we already in pain. <laughs> you already had us sit through this beautiful, gorgeous, grief-stricken ceremony. You already had us, you know, go through the fact. What, what did Brooke say? We we can't even burn our bear our burial clothes without suffering another death so quickly. Like, come on! It was it was a, it was it was a lot. And yet, to Sheena's point, there is there is something there, um, both as a storytelling device and as a a I think. Um, tool of potential processing for some people. So thank you for that, Sheena. Let's see who else is here. We have a question from Ray. It says, Travel, do you think gratitude is used as a distraction, as a quote, look over here tactic to steer you away from the despair you may be experiencing in the moment? I do think it is a distraction. And the, but the reason why I would use the word distraction is because I, I, I find again that we, that, that, you know, folks never, get back to like after expressing the gratitude after taking stock of of the moment and you know thanking the trees and the flowers and your fingernails i find that folks don't get back to like the the, the work that it takes to for us to collectively you know undo some of these isms and obias and whatnot um and for me that is unfortunate i want to also go to a, a related sidebar that came from dr diet it says this also cannot be the thanksgiving episode without just stating that we built an entire holiday around the using of gratitude as a weapon for indigenous erasure big purr i ain't even made the thanksgiving connection i would say a very big purr Oh, that's so interesting thanks for purr, articulating that dr um uh, we appreciate y'all's questions uh and for yeah no like i mean we were talking about like we didn't want to do an episode on thanksgiving about thanksgiving because like we've had that conversation a million times but it does always bear repeating like this whole holiday is its own problem we appreciate um our paid subscribers of the fanti fam for joining us on this special you know live-ish recording of an episode for with being able to give us live feedback as we're live in the show we really appreciate y'all being here and having fun with us if you're not a paid subscriber uh for the fanti fam we encourage you to go to maximumfund.org join and become a member of the fanti fam we're going to be doing more of these different kinds of ways to engage with the audience um we normally do like a live talk back with the audience and this time we were able to bring y'all into the show so make sure to go to maximumfund.org slash join and uh we appreciate y'all listening on all the different platforms i'm still kind of surprised by how many different platforms y'all listen to us on if you're on a platform that allows you to rate and review we ask that you leave us a rating and let us know what you think about the show if you have a comment or a suggestion about this week's show 
We're at Fantai Podcast on the Instagram and on the Twitter machine as well, at least for right now. You can use the hashtag FantaiFam where we can see the conversation. And again, if you're interested in being a part of the Fantai Fam, MaximumFun.org slash join. You know what? I just say a simple shout out to everybody who's eating fried turkey right now. Shout out to you. Um, or, or another fried product, you know, so I can be vegan inclusive. What y'all do? <laughs> vegan soy? What is it? Fried soy? Beans? The, the vegan thing is over, especially this week. It's been a month, but I'm still going to be predominantly plant-based for certain periods. Before we get out of here, I want to let you know that the Fanti Buy Black continues. We want to make sure that y'all are letting us know the different places that you love to buy black. And we're also compiling them all into a link where you can check out all of the different places that we've been listing. If you go to our social media pages or look in the episode notes, you'll be able to see exactly where you can go and purchase all of the cool things that you'll be hearing throughout the weeks of Fantize by Black. So make sure to check that out. You can also send in your suggestions to fanti at maximumfun.org. Yes, also your queer-owned ones and your brown-owned ones too. We'll take them. It's called by Black. No, no, no. It's called... Mm -mm. Mm -mm. It's, it is, we are anti everything but black. I care. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, as always, shout out to the person who does our music, Corey, C-O-R dot E-C-E. And we want to say, we didn't get a chance to say this on last week's episode, but shout out to Corey, the Grammy nominated songwriter. Ow. Okay, Corey. As you all know, he wrote on Beyonce's Cozy from Renaissance. And, um, you know, he's listed in the credits and, you know, is is Grammy nominated now. That's how they tell me it works. So shout out to him. Love that. Um, graphics, as always, done by Ashley Wynn and the folks over at Moonhouse Creative. Our editor is Nihar Patel. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Hold on, sorry. Oh. <laughs> gobble, gobble, glurp, glurp. You, you all right? You want to do it again? <sighs> gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. I can piss off my neighbors again if I need to. Let's just keep going. <laughs> this is a production of Maximum Fun. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported. Sorry. Whew, my God. Do you see what I deal with? Do you see? Listen, better out than in, I always say. <laughs>